Hello, and welcome to Movie Culture. Today, we are talking about Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 was released in 2019 and is Pixar's 21st feature film. The movie was directed by Josh Cooley and written by Andrew Stanton and Stephanie Folsom. If it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it recently, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. Woody is struggling to adapt to Bonnie's room, where he is no longer the favorite toy. When Bonnie is worried about her first day of kindergarten, Woody comes with her and helps Bonnie build a new toy out of a plastic spork named Forky. Forky quickly becomes Bonnie's favorite toy, and Woody keeps him out of the trash where he keeps trying to return. When Forky jumps out the window on a road trip, Woody follows him according to his mantra, no toy left behind. As they work to find Bonnie, they pass through an antique store where Forky is captured by Gabby Gabby, a toy with a broken voice box. Woody escapes to a nearby playground where he runs back into Bo Peep, whose Andy sister had given away soon after Toy Story 2. Bo and her crew of lost toys attempt to help Woody rescue Forky, along with Buzz and Ducky and Bunny, carnival toys freed by Buzz. After two attempts, the toys cannot rescue Forky, and most give up. Bo tells Woody about the freedom a toy gets when they aren't attached to a kid, but Woody thinks that's selfish, and he wants to be loyal. Woody has one final option, to give Gabby Gabby his own voice box in exchange for Forky. He does so, and they meet back up with the rest of the toys at the RV. At the last moment, Woody decides to stay with Bo and join her gang of lost toys, and shares a tearful farewell with Buzz, Jesse, and the rest of the gang. Josh, our last Toy Story. Yeah. What did you think? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think it is interesting talking about right after we talked about Incredibles 2. Because in Incredibles 2, there's so much going on. There are so many themes and threads that tie together nicely and also some lead to some loose ends. Toy Story 4 has one thread. It has one theme. It does that so well from a number of perspectives. It's also a really fun, funny movie. So it's different to think about and talk about. And I think that is throwing me a little bit, to be honest. But I really, really enjoyed watching it. What about you? What did you think? I liked it. I liked this movie when it came out. I mean, two years ago. We're getting so close to the end. Yeah, now we really just have to talk about these movies in the present tense. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy this movie. I think it's a really good conclusion for Woody and his character arc. So I enjoyed yeah. seeing that. Yeah, that's a really great point. And we'll get into all the details, but... I want to say first out, starting out, the thing I liked the most about this movie is how funny it is. Toy Story has been so reliable for great jokes, and yeah. this is not an exception. It's it's really funny. I think that this is the funniest Pixar movie, and I think maybe by quite a margin. Wow, really? Yeah. Part of that is the visual humor. It's the contextual humor. It's the humor we get because we know these characters so mm -hmm. well. And of course, when you just bring in Key and Peel as ringers, essentially, as, you know, little extra violent stuffed toys, you know, that's just a win all around. 
Yes, they are very funny. And I like that this movie has references to the other Pixar movies. I know that they do that a lot, but in this movie, it really stood out to me for some reason. It's explicit in a way that it hasn't been. I think usually there, you know, we're talking about the freeze frame Easter eggs where every Pixar movie has a tiny glimpse of something that happens in the next Pixar movie, whatever that is. But this movie has way more of them and they stay on screen for much longer. At one point, Bo Peep's sheep find a little soda cap on the ground and try to give it to her. And it is the grape soda cap that Russell wears in Up. And Bo Peep is kind of like, no, that's trash. (laughs) Um, And then at another point, the RV that Bonnie's family is vacationing in, they stop at a gas station. And the gas station is a Dynaco gas station, which, of course, is the premier company in cars, in the cars world. Yeah, that's the company that sponsors all of the best cars. It does bring up some questions about the Cars universe, if it's like actually a parallel universe. I don't oh, know. so weird. We're not trippy. No, no, we're not thinking about Cars. We don't have to think about that movie again. <laughs> Never mind. Moving on. There is something very meta about this movie. At this point, we're something like 30 years into Pixar's run, right? Toy Story 4 comes out in 2019. The original Toy Story comes out in 1994. So I guess we're 25 years into this whole premise. And this is really a Pixar movie for people who love Pixar movies in more ways than one. I know. Honestly, it felt like it was rewarding us for watching their whole canon. (laughs) Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) And speaking of being meta, I think the most meta thing that they're doing is reflecting on their own Toy Story series and specifically the way that they handled Bo Peep. Ah, Bo Peep. I missed her. Yeah, so I dug back into the history about her in this Mm -hmm. series. Lee Unkrich, who directed Toy Story 3, Mm -hmm. was talking about Bo Peep's character. And he said that in Toy Story 2 specifically, they, the Pixar dudes, the people who worked on this movie, they wanted her to be part of the action, specifically part of the scene where the toys all go to the airport to rescue Woody. At the very end of the movie. Mm -hmm. But... They couldn't figure out how to put her into the action because she's too delicate. She is a porcelain toy. She's Mm -hmm. actually not even a toy. She's part of a lamp, but she's a porcelain doll. So they worried that it would seem unrealistic for her to be part of the action sequences. A, I do kind of understand that because Buzz is plastic and Woody is cotton and like a, a raggedy doll. But B... I'm glad that they're worried about realism in this movie about sentient toys. <laughs> that would have really taken us out of the movie. Oh, yeah. So, so and then in Toy Story 3, they figured, well, it's so hard to put a delicate lady toy into the action. So might as well just get rid of her. Um, they wrote in a prologue similar to the one I think that we see in Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. But in Toy Story 3, they had a prologue with Bo getting donated. Mm-hmm. But then I think later on in the story process, they changed it to be about the squeaking penguin. So instead of rescuing Bo from being donated or having a sequence about Bo being donated, it is Woody trying to rescue this character that we don't really care about. Yeah. Um, The tone, I guess, is a lot lighter because Woody doesn't have much emotional attachment. But because they changed that... 
And as they say it, it was too late to bring Bo back into the movie. They had to commit to having her gone, and she was relegated to being written off of the series with one single line. Yeah, we've lost some good friends along the way, including Bo Peep. Yeah, and it's weird, (laughs) and it's notable. Um, It was notable for the audience, and apparently what happened was Pixar got flooded with people being really upset that Bo was gone, and they were totally shocked to see this they were like what this delicate lady doll that no one cares about why are people upset so given the response to Bo being gone when they started talking about toy story 4 it seems like they were like of course bring Bo back Mm -hmm. finish that romance that was hinted at in the beginning with toy story 1 and toy story 2 yeah and this is how Bo developed it also seems like There was a team of women specifically who worked on Bo's character, and they were called Team Bo, and they were kind of in charge of developing her, both, I think, in animation, but also in the writing of it. That's really interesting, huh? And you can tell, I think, in the movie that she is given a lot of nuance and not just used as a foil for Woody's worldview, but a character with her own unique perspectives gained through her own experiences. Yeah, and I personally really like Bo Peep in this movie. I like what they did with her. Same. I do know that there was some pushback on her character and the changes that they made. I think that one of the arguments is that they kind of retconned her. And yeah, absolutely. They, but they in, they the just, first, in the first two movies, she's like a porcelain doll. She can barely move. And like, look, they also retconned Woody. Woody in the first movie is like very mean. And Bo is just like, a blank romantic interest. So yes, that is the argument against what they did. Basically that they retconned her and gave her pants and then called it a day. Um, I don't actually agree. I don't feel like her character in Toy Story 4 is that much at odds with Bo Peep in Toy Story 1. Do you remember her from Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2? Because I, I feel like she is very much a tertiary character in that movie. Oh, yeah, she's totally a side character. She has very few lines. She's not in it very often. But I also think that it's not like they established her to be completely different from this mm-hmm. Bo Peep in the in Toy Story 4. And I don't know. We, we have very recently watched Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2. And yes, she is quite different. But she's also in a completely different circumstance. Many, many years have passed. Mm-hmm. As she says to Woody, she has changed and change is good. Yeah. And I can see that it could be realistic for her to change this way because in Toy Story 1, you know, she is very flirty. She has a lot of fun kind of leading Woody on in some ways. Yeah. Some of the articles that I have read have said that she is a damsel in distress in these movies. But I think that it's important to note that the scenes where she is the damsel in distress are when Andy is playing with them. Yeah, they're not the actual stakes of the movie. Or they're not the actual characters either. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really interesting to see this character who is Molly, Andy's sister's toy. And she is Molly's lamp. She's Molly's nightlight. Mm -hmm. And she's in this position of being nurturing and protecting and that's who she is and when she's there for andy when he takes her off the lamp and plays with her 
She is the damsel in distress role. She is foreign hmm. to these roles that the kids need her to be. Yeah. But when she leaves, when she's no longer confined by these roles that she has to play, she can discover who she is on her own. She can change and grow. And it seems that she has been through some stuff. <laughs> we have seen yeah. the the adventures that toys go on. And so we can only assume that Bo Peep has also been having these wild high stakes adventures. Not only can we assume we hear about some of them, including like the band of merry men that she's built in the forest, the band of merry toys and all these other lost toys who she has collected together. I mean, she very much is a Peter Pan figure in this movie with her lost boys. She's so cool. Yeah. And also like at one point. Woody tears her arm off and she laughs because it happens all the time. And like at one point she broke her porcelain arm clean off and she is not fragile. She just tapes it back up. It yeah. looks like a bandage. I think that's what's so cool, too, is that they didn't on her to not be porcelain. I mean, obviously, their animation style mm -hmm. has changed and they're taking liberties with how actual porcelain functions because it's not supposed to be realistic in that way. Also, actual porcelain figures don't have personalities or characters and can't yes. move and speak. <laughs> yes, but she is still breakable in a different way than Woody, who can just be sewn up. Yeah. And I was also reading about how they conceptualized a character who is physically as breakable as she is. Mm -hmm. moving through the world in this way. So she learns a lot of gymnastics and acrobatics huh? Oh, instead cool. of just chaotically bumping into things like the other toys seem to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Because if she crashes in with something moving quickly, she won't just like bounce off. She'll shatter. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I love the depth that, like the, the scientific depth that the animators go into on this. Yeah, I really like it. And I also, in if we're talking about being meta, I like that they came to this story and they looked at this obstacle that they had, which is how do you take a toy that is very breakable and make them part of high stakes action? Mm -hmm. And in Toy Story 2, when they were faced with that problem, they were just like, oh, well, you can't anyway. Yeah. And in this movie, they really thought it through. They thought about how she would move through the world, what it would look like if she did break. And... The movie and the character are so much better for it. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just such great character growth from Pixar. Yeah. And of course, part of that has to do with the growth in animation between the mid 90s and the late teens, because so much of this has to do with just the characters being able to move in some ways. And maybe they couldn't have animated her to do gymnastics in 1990, whatever it was. And now they can and it looks great. Yeah, Bo looks way better in this movie. Yeah, all of them do. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. She's definitely evolved from who she was. She's not totally different. And I think that is a really nice reflection about how everyone is always changing a little bit. And of course, Bo has some things that have stayed with her the entire time. There is a central through line of her character that exists since Toy Story 1. But she's evolved since then into her new beliefs and perspectives, which turn out to be some of the dominant themes of the movie. Yeah, it's great. And I also love that she's so central to Woody's development. Exactly. Woody, I think, is a really good character. And you said earlier that you think that they retconned him too. 
But I actually, I don't think so. I think that the differences that we see in Woody in Toy Story 4 versus Toy Story 1 mm-hmm. are earned over the course of this series. I think it's really challenging to have a full series in which a character develops in each movie and it's still moving forward. It's not just the same arc over and over again. I know, it's so well done. Yeah, and with Woody, we really see him grow and it's it's so rewarding to watch this movie and feel like when we get to the end of the movie and he decides to stay with Bo and mm-hmm. he sees himself in a new light and he doesn't have to be the one in control because that was such a big problem for him for this whole series. Mm-hmm. He's very much has to be the leader, has to be in control of everything. And we finally see him let that go. And it just feels very rewarding. It's like, finally, Woody, you finally got it. <laughs> I also think that one incredible thing they've done with Woody's character arc is they've had it grow between each movie based on what he learns within that movie. Mm-hmm. In every movie, he grows a little bit and has a full arc within the movie, but also over the course of the series, he's having one continuous growth based on his own experiences and how he is changing over time. Yeah. I think that Toy Story 4 is so cool because it does two seemingly contradictory things with his character growth at once, which is that first, it makes Woody take stock of his situation He is no longer the favorite toy. He's actually a toy that is often forgotten and pushed aside. Mm -hmm. Bonnie doesn't really like to play with him very much. And he's really struggling because he has this understanding that what matters most to him is making a child's life better. And he can't do that because Bonnie doesn't really care about him. Yeah. So over the course of the movie, Woody has to look at his situation and find a different way to make children's lives better. And he does that by taking himself out of the starring role entirely. What he ends up doing with Bo Peep at the end of the movie is like essentially running an adoption agency where he helps toys Mm -hmm. get matched with children. Mm -hmm. And he is making so many children's lives better in the process because he is giving them their favorite forever toys. But he is not the one in that starring favorite toy role anymore. So he really has to do this thing that he's been learning to do over the whole series, where he has to learn to take a step back and look at what is best, you know, for the children. At the same time, what I really love about this movie is after three movies of Woody feeling like he can't think about himself, he has to think about his kid. And it's selfish for him to think about what he wants and what he needs because he has to prioritize the needs and wants of his child. In Toy Story 4, we finally see Woody in a position where he gets to think about himself and Hmm. what kind of life he wants separate from his kid. We do, but I also think that part of Woody's journey has always been centered about his kid. That Woody has always cared so much about his children, right? Because that is who the toys have always represented, is this parental figure. And I do think it is unfair to Woody to say that he wasn't focused on himself in the previous movies, because he was the whole time he's thinking about what's important to him. And even though he is balancing that with a community, with children, with other people, and he still is at the end of Toy Story 4, 
He, I think the whole time, is trying to understand what is best for him and the people around him. And I think it, I, I don't think doing what's best for the people around you and caring about that and having that empathy takes anything away from thinking about what's best for yourself. Right. And it's not that. I, I think it's just that Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 both present Woody with a different kind of life that he chooses not to take because he chooses to be with his kids. In mm-hmm. Toy Story 2, he's presented with this life of being this important toy that people come and travel to see. Mm-hmm. And he gets to be with Jesse and Bullseye and Stinky Pete before we know he's evil. <laughs> and it seems like this life that Woody is interested in but he doesn't choose that life because for him at that moment in time it is more important to be with his family exactly and that's a great choice that's the right choice for him in toy story 3 he wants to stay with andy he loves andy the relationship is so important to him and andy wants to take him to college but he knows that it's more important to his family for him to be there he feels like they need him And he feels like he can do more good helping Bonnie and having a new kid. So that's what he chooses. In Toy Story 4, it's a similar thing. He's presented with a life with Bo, a a life where they travel together and they have these adventures. And he is torn again between going with Bo and staying with Bonnie. But this time, he's in a position where, as Buzz says, Bonnie will be okay without him. And his toy family will be okay without him. And here we get to see Woody explore these other lives and this other life for himself. Okay, so that's Bo Peep and Woody... Mm-hmm. I think now we need to talk about Forky. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this trash toy. <laughs> what did you think about Forky? I mean, I like Forky the character. I think there's a lot of humor with Forky. I appreciate all the Forky memes. I like him saying, I'm trash. I love the scene where Woody is trying to drag him back to the RV after mm-hmm. he f- jumps out the window. And he's just like, dead weight. He's like, (laughs) carry me, Woody. (laughs) I love Forky. Tell me about your love for Forky. I think it's so weird that Pixar did this. It's really art of the absurd. It really is. It just seems so strange and out of place, honestly, in the Toy Story world. And I love Forky for that. I just wish they had gone farther on all that absurdism. How so? I agree. Forky is so absurd and weird, and it's such a fun, interesting concept. And Forky himself is a fun, interesting character. And when he was introduced, I thought there would be a lot of discussion about what makes something a toy versus what makes it trash. What is the real difference between something that is immensely valuable and something that has literally no value? And I was hoping for that discussion. That's something that was thought about a little bit in Toy Story 3, right? Lotso has this obsession with plastic and and the dump. And I thought that Toy Story 4 could really develop on those themes. Why is it that Bonnie, with all of these name brand 
store-bought toys that she has grown up with will lose all of them for a used spork. What is it about her human psychology, about our human psychology, that makes it that we can connect with these things that are literally utensils? I think that's such an interesting theme and I felt like the movie punts it a little bit. Yeah. On the one hand, it feels like the movie answers that. And the answer is googly eyes. Exactly. Which, for what it's worth, is the same way that Pixar has gotten us to care about a lot of creatures like Baby Dory. It's those googly eyes. But also, I mean, I think what you're saying is really interesting about what is the difference between trash, as Forky keeps calling himself, mm -hmm. and a toy. Is it that you have to pay for a toy? Is it that a toy is something that is manufactured? Is it that what we call trash is just anything without value? And anything can be trash if it has no value, but if it does have value, then it takes on a certain a certain other use, right? It's a toy or it's furniture or it's a whatever it is. And in that case, let's have a discussion about what gives value. What makes something valuable? I think the movie do was doing that in some sense. I mean, it was talking about, you know, Forky gives Bonnie a sense of comfort. Mm -hmm. And I think it, that she cares about it a lot because she made it. There's something about creating something that bonds you to it. And I think that's really interesting in comparison with toys that have been created for a specific function. And how Bonnie really does just gravitate towards the things that she has made herself for herself. But to me, it just feels a little circular that whatever is valuable is that way because we put value on it. Whatever Bonnie thinks is valuable is valuable. And I get that that is a real answer that anything can be valuable. Value is a construct and it's just the things that we like or dislike and that is what associates value to something in the same way that Forky can be valuable for Bonnie. Well, Gabby Gabby can not be valuable. She can be trash for Harmony, her idealized child. And it's not that I think that answer is wrong, but because this movie so incorporates the idea of what would it mean to love a spork, I wish we had some other perspectives as opposed to what I see as the answer, which is like, listen, don't think about this too hard. It's valuable because it's valuable. And that's it. Okay, I have a question. Great. Did you not glue googly eyes to random things as a kid and then love those things? I glued googly eyes to things, to random things, but no, I didn't love them afterwards. Like, I, I can't remember doing that and then holding on to those things for more than a day. I definitely had a collection of googly-eyed rocks that I was very proud of. But I am impressed that Bonnie has kept this spork for over a year by the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's still in great condition. That's very impressive. Although, those sporks never biodegrade. Okay, well, that's the thing, too, that I, I think is interesting when they're talking about trash, is that Forky, when he comes into existence... Mm-hmm. He's very panicked and very insistent that he is trash and he is just meant to be trash. Yeah. He says, you know, I'm a spork. I'm meant to be used once and then thrown away. That's my purpose. Mm -hmm. And it is it is interesting. I think that it is almost contradictory in a way that I enjoy to see the movie present this spork 
as a piece of trash that isn't questioned. It's not like putting any value judgment on plastic utensils. It's That's not at yeah. all what it's trying to do. It's, it's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. That's the purpose of a plastic spork. You use it and you throw it away. That's life. Mm-hmm. And the spork will be very upset and have an existential crisis if you try to turn it into a toy. So just as the toy does, if you try and turn it into trash, everything has its place. And when you take things out of their place, they have existential crises. And of course, that place is determined by corporations that Mm -hmm. manufacture things that you buy and you're not supposed to take them out of their place. When exactly do you think that Forky gains sentience? It's implied in the movie that it's when Bonnie writes her name on his feet. It is, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means that Bonnie is some sort of god figure who can bring life to the lifeless, right? I don't think she's a god figure. I think it's just part of this world that toys are sentient. And once she has determined that Forky is her toy, he becomes Mm, sentient. Okay, I guess that's the other question is, we know that toys are sentient, right? We've known that now for 25 years. But what makes something a toy versus not a toy? And I guess you're saying it's... You know, it's when you have the name on the bottom of your foot or whatever it is. But I think that is an interesting question because are Spork sentient? Was Forky sentient before that or not? Who is sentient? Who is not sentient? I do think that this is an important question in this movie, whereas I don't think it is in previous movies. Because in previous movies, we're just supposed to assume that toys are sentient right? They start the movie that way. They end the movie that way. It's just, that's the norm. That's the status quo. But when you see the creation of a toy, something that brings it to sentience, it does make me wonder at least how everyone else got to be this way. Was there a moment where Bo Peep was just a lamp? Are lamps sentient? And was it Andy who in deciding to play with her brought her to life? I don't know. I think there is some cool philosophy that could be done here. (laughs) But this is just part of my light, light frustration with this movie is that I think there are a lot of these philosophical questions that are not necessarily explored as deeply as I would want them to be. Yeah, my reading of it is definitely that once a kid determines that something is a toy, it gains sentience. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is kind of cool when putting it in this framework of corporations and manufacturers that create things as they are meant to be Mm -hmm. in their place. And it doesn't really matter because a kid can come along and be creative with a pipe cleaner and a spork. Mm -hmm. And that will change the determined rules of the universe and can override this corporation's intentions. Yeah. Kids are the prime movers, the absolute creators. Kind of cool. But while those are questions I had and I wish that maybe this movie had been more expansive, I understand why it wasn't. And that's because it had so perfectly developed its main theme. And Tay, I want to know how you would talk about this theme. It is possible to thrive as an empty nester. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It really feels like this movie is just about how empty nesting can be great. And I think that's funny. Yeah, I wrote down... How to live your best life after kids are gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think it's good. I I think it makes a lot of sense for Woody's arc. Mm -hmm. Woody is trying to figure out what his purpose in life is and how he can make the impact that he wants to make without 
being a main toy anymore. Mm -hmm. Especially because Toy Story 3 is about the process of saying goodbye to your kids. It makes sense that right after that would be the, well, what now moment. Right. Yeah. It feels like this series has always been about parenthood. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really nice. I know that Toy Story 4 was a bit controversial about if Toy Story 3 felt like it should have been the real end. But if it's about parenthood, I like that there's this next chapter. I like that the end of the series isn't just, oh, your kid left the house. Mm -hmm. That's the end. I like that it's how do you figure out how to thrive after that. Also, I think it's important to say that in this series, any movie could have been the last movie of a full arc series. That is sort of the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. That it is one collective arc that, yeah, it could have ended after Toy Story 3, but there was more to say after it. And look, there could still be more to say. Like, what does happen next? What happens after you decide to live your best life on the road with, you know... Your lady friend. Yeah, your your second chance love story. <laughs> and of course, Bo Peep exemplifies this thriving so well. How so? She talks about how she loved being there for Molly and how she loved taking care of Molly and lighting up the dark nights for her. And her love for Molly and her memories and relationship is not diminished by the fact that she has now had a full next chapter in her life and a life mm -hmm. that she loves and is doing great in and has found a lot of meaning and adventure in. There's something that Woody and Bo say to Duke Kaboom, who is a racer toy who jumps off ledges. And the toy is supposed to be able to jump really far, but this Duke Kaboom can only crash. And they want him to crash in this case, right? That's that's what they need in this instance. And he says, I, I can't do what I am supposed to do. I'm not who I should be. And they say to him, and this is sort of a one-off scene. This is not at the point of the movie that generally the theme would be stated, but I do think this states the theme clearly. They say to him, don't worry about who you're supposed to be. Think about who you are right now. Mm -hmm. Be who you are right now. And I think that is an important thing for Woody to hear himself say. He has held on to this idea of who he is with Andy, with a childhood Andy, and who he has been in regards to his family of toys, but he isn't thinking about who he is right now. And Bo has really embraced her present status. Yeah. But I feel like we've now said that this movie is about how to live your best life after your kids are gone, but we haven't said exactly what the movie's saying. And I think it presents a few different ideas. So can you talk through those a little bit? Yeah, I think that this is kind of what I was trying to say earlier about how I think the movie is saying that it's important to recontextualize your life mm -hmm. and think about what the core values are in your life and the things that have given you meaning mm -hmm. and how to find that in a new way. For Woody, if it's caring about kids and making kids' lives better, he is now doing this adoption thing and trying to get toys to kids. Mm -hmm. It's also, I think, kind of about freedom not to say that kids are, you know, tying people down, but it does limit his options about the kind of life that he can go off and live. Yeah. And now that he is able to do that, he takes this 
leap of faith. He takes this risk with Bo Peep for a life that he doesn't know what it looks like. He's lived for so long for his kid in a familiar environment with the same toys around Mm -hmm. him. And now he's on a new adventure and he doesn't know what that's going to look like is that new chapter. And he's excited about it. And he does feel that sense of mourning, Mm -hmm. I think, of his previous life. Yeah. But he knows that there's still a lot left for him and he's looking forward to it. Yeah. And they have talked about a few different activities that they could do, right? That they could travel, they could go on adventures, they could help other people, they could play with lots of different kids. They can work, as I was saying before, on a macro scale instead of a micro scale. And there is an excitement about the adventures they could have as opposed to this singular path that he has been on. Yeah, and it's also about redefining himself. Mm -hmm. And it's about the path not taken that he thought was lost to him, where when we see Bo leaving in the beginning of the movie and she wants him to come with Mm -hmm. him, but he can't because he has to stay with Andy. Tay, what is the first image we see in the first Toy Story 1? The opening scene of that movie. I don't know. What is it? It's Andy's wallpaper of the bright blue sky with the white clouds, Mm. right? That's the very, very first thing we see. And it's a recurring theme over and over and over in all four of these movies. The last image from this movie, from Toy Story 4, is Woody and Bo under the open night sky, the real sky. So we start and end under the sky. Those images are the front and back bookmarks of this four-movie series. While we started with a portrait of the sky, with a single, non-dynamic, static image of the limited possibilities of what are out there, we end under the open and expansive sky that has always, in all sorts of American fiction, represented the limitlessness of opportunities. So Woody has gone from a confined space of opportunities, one that makes it seem, it portrays through the painting, that there are opportunities out there, that there is expanse, even though there is truly only one path forward, to truly having everything under the sun, under the moon, as possibilities. Josh, that's beautiful. I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's also the contrast between day and night. Yeah. And it's night, you know, he's lived so much of this life, but the night is so long and there's so many opportunities and excitement left for them. Yes, this is now nearing the end, although we don't really know how. I don't think toys die unless they're incinerated. Do we think they die when they're incinerated or they're just like dust? Yes, that's too dark. (laughs) (laughs) They burn alive. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, Woody has lived the full day of his life, but now gets to live the back portion, the night of it. Yeah. I think also back to this idea about empty nesting and parenthood and who are we with and without children. I think Gabby Gabby is a really interesting character to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. Gabby Gabby says that her one dream is to have her own kid. Specifically, she's focused on Harmony. Yeah. But really, she just wants to have a kid. And she has never had a kid. 
because she was born with a defective voice box, which meant that she could never be sold. So she could never play with any kid. There is something that she is not in control of that makes her her body unable to be with a kid. Right. So I think that this movie does bring up questions about infertility. Mm, that's interesting. There are things that kind of give me pause thinking about it through that lens, specifically that Gabby Gabby, for most of the movie, is our villain. Mm -hmm. And she is villainous because she is trying to take Woody's voice box because that's what she needs to have a kid. So definitely in the beginning of this movie, when they're presenting this character who wants to have children and is trying to have children at any cost as threatening or villainous, that is something that gave me pause. But I do like the way that the character ends up. And she does eventually end up explaining to Woody how she's feeling, how much it has hurt her not to be able to have children when that's all she ever wanted. Mm -hmm. And he gives her his voice box because he he doesn't need it anymore. He's had his kids, so... Look, I don't think we need to go into the mechanics of <laughs> the metaphor it. metaphor gets a little weird. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> At some point, we have to remember that they are just literal toys. Right, that's, yes. Um, but when she talks about the pain that she has felt, he really mm -hmm. empathizes with her and he understands her. And so his understanding of her shifts as well as the audience's understanding of her. And they kind of become allies. And this is the first moment when Woody realizes that he can help other toys find their kids. Mm -hmm. He helps her connect with a lost kid at the carnival. And there is something that feels like adoption in a way. I mean, he's telling her that this is the most noble thing that she can do for a kid. And yeah. she's looking at this kid who can't find her parents and is saying, this kid is lost. I need to help her. And it's nice. It's nice yeah. that Gabby Gabby has a happy ending. I totally agree. I think that the movie shows a few different ways, aside from Woody and Bo's perspectives on life after kids or, or what the interaction of kids and life can be like. Mm -hmm. Certainly there is that, that if you can't have kids, but kids are still important to you, there are ways to make that work and to have that life that you imagine. There is also a character, and I'm thinking of Giggle McDimples, which is the Polly Pocket character who is Bo mm -hmm. Peep's friend, who has never been with a kid and expresses that she has just always been happy without a kid mm -hmm. and never wanted one and didn't see any value in it and is just living her full adventurous life without kids. And that's fun and great. And because the movie is mostly about parenting, that's really all we'd hear from her. But I like that the movie gives that different perspective. Key and Peele's character mm -hmm. also, you know, they want kids, but it's not something that they are compelled by, that they're obsessed with. They just think that'd be really fun, right? That'd be fun and exciting and a part of their adventure, but not dominant. I actually, I felt like they were kind of obsessed with kids in the same way. Not to the extent that Gabby Gabby is, mm -hmm. but when we first meet them, they're chasing down Buzz because they think that Buzz owes them a kid and yeah. took away their one chance at a kid. And so they really, really want a kid. I think it's interesting at the end of the movie when they decide to stay with Woody and Bo Peep. Mm -hmm. 
it seems like they have the opportunity to go with Bonnie and to be toys for her. Yeah. But instead they choose to stay with Woody and Bo and do this whole adoption agency thing. Mm-hmm. And I love that they want to have kids. They don't end up having kids, but they find this meaning in their mm-hmm. life through helping other people. And maybe in doing so, they can get their own kid some other way. Yeah. So I I like the messages of this movie. I like, like you say, how we have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think that the audience for this movie and for all Pixar movies are families with children. So it makes sense that the main characters, that the the dominant theme, the dominant perspective told is two people who are parents. But I like that even though that's the dominant theme, they also give a bunch of different perspectives and think about the the way that kids can be an influence on your life and also how your life can extend beyond kids if you want it to from a variety of perspectives. We even have the perspective of a character who didn't ever want kids, who never envisioned themselves as someone who would ever have kids and yet ends up having a kid and rises to the occasion. Who's that? Forky. Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Parents can be anyone. They can look like anything. They can even be trash. They can be a used spork. This used spork is my mom. (laughs) Well, I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed this whole series. Yeah, me too. And I am kind of sad that it's ending. Although apparently we are getting a fake Buzz Lightyear biopic. Oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I don't know what to expect from that. I think it is supposed to star Chris Evans And he's given a lot of interviews where he can't quite phrase this. And I feel like this is very simple, right? This is a movie about the human whom the Buzz Lightyear toy is based off of. But Chris Evans has had a bunch of interviews where he like can't quite articulate that very well, which is very funny. Please look it up. (laughs) But that movie, I think, is supposed to come out in 2022? Yeah. 2023, maybe? Okay. So we'll be watching. Yep. All right, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Onward. And we are excited. Yes, I love Onward. All All right. right. Jinx. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe for the last three episodes (laughs) of our Pixar run. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.